This episode of the Managing Midget Podcast is brought to you by Hotel Ryu Plaza, New York Times Square. Located in the heart of Manhattan, the new Ryu Plaza, New York Times Square Hotel offers its guests many services and amenities such as a gym, meeting rooms, and Wi-Fi connection. At their new hotel in New York, you can experience the concept of urban tourism and enjoy a vacation in New York or a business trip with all of the services Ryu Hotels and Resorts has to offer you. Um, they hooked us up big time. We stayed there during our stay in New York for the live podcast, but also the game against Atleti. It's just like literally steps away from Times Square. It's in Manhattan. So it's the ideal place to book. If you're staying in New York, Ryu.com, R-I-U.com is where you go to book. Um, this episode of the Managing Midget Podcast comes in two parts. The first part, Eduardo Alvarez joins myself, Kian Subani, to talk about Real Madrid's Manita win over Barcelona in 1995 all of the fascinating context that's, that surrounded that game. We broke down the game itself, but also talked about all the tangents that come with a game like that. And then part two, Lucas Navarrete uh, finally getting on the podcast, which I think will be a weekly appearance this season from him uh, because our schedules are lining up quite nicely and uh, we just wanted to shake it up a bit. So um, he's going to come on the podcast for part two and we're going to answer all your patron questions uh, over at patreon.com slash managing Madrid all the questions that came in we're going to try our best to hit as many as we possibly can we go through it and uh, hope you enjoy it without further ado this is the Managing Madrid podcast let's go nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog uh, wonderful lads that do a great job there and worth reading about that man there All right, welcome to part one of the Managing Madrid podcast. We are doing our historical corner where we rewatch Real Madrid games of old and we discuss them. This one has been very anticipated because um, it's one. I, I, this one was chosen by Eduardo Alvarez, who, as you know, has. Uh, if if you want to talk about Real Madrid history, there are a few better than than Ed to chat um, about Real Madrid history about. So. Um, Eduardo Alvarez chose Real Madrid 5, Barcelona 0 in the 1994-1995 season. This game happened in January at the Bernabeu. First of all, Ed, welcome to the show. I'm very excited to talk about this with you. Thank you very much. This is going to be so much fun. Can you give us as much context as possible heading into this game? Like, What should the listeners know about this game before we actually talk about what happens inside of it? Well, this is um, a key uh, game because uh, Barcelona had won the last, the previous four seasons La Liga, and uh, three of them in the very last match, uh, and in two of those cases, Real Madrid um, lost the last match in Tenerife. It was the, those mm. those coincidences that they had to play their last match in Tenerife. Tenerife was back then coached by Jorge Valdano, former Real Madrid player and Argentina international. And uh, Real Madrid lost the first the first match. They were leading 1-0 and they lost 3-2. And the second match, they lost 2-0. Uh, so Real Madrid, in fact, lost two ligas due to Tenerife's Jorge Valdano. Had they won those matches, they would have won La Liga and Barcelona would have uh, finished second. But 
because of those two defeats, they lost two titles. And um, then what Real Madrid did was obviously hire Valdano <laughs> as a coach. Mm. And uh, Valdano came back saying that they they uh, he wanted to to return what he had taken from Real Madrid, and uh, he um, he recovered some of the Quinta del Buitre uh, spirit of the team, uh, which is offensive football, uh, plenty of all possession, but always trying to hurt the, the opposition. Yeah, uh, a very classic old-fashioned 4-4-2 in a diamond shape in, in midfield with Michael Laudrup behind the strikers on a free roll and then um, Luis Enrique on one side and and the probably the most uh, surprising uh, event of the season was Amavisca, uh, a player that no one really believed could do much for Real Madrid and that ended up being uh, one of the best players of, of that tournament. Mm. And uh, the another additional point on this context is that Real Madrid had lost the previous season in, in Barcelona 5-0. Yeah. It was the famous uh, hat-trick by Romario with a fantastic dummy on, on Alcorta. And uh, the, the fans and the team were eager to, to put that behind them and to return the favor to Barcelona. So the atmosphere, when you watch the match, you see that the atmosphere in the stadium is bonkers. Everyone is going nuts from the very first minute. And uh, that that tells you that be, uh, when you add the, the lost Liga titles to, to the 5-0, people really wanted uh, a big win uh, against Barcelona. And then this was also the, the summer that Laudrup came over, right? So the season, the summer heading into this season, Laudrup signed for Real Madrid from Barcelona. I don't think he played yep. in that 5-0 uh, for Barca that day. Uh, no, he didn't. He was injured or suspended or whatever it was. But yeah. So yeah. I don't. you and I briefly discussed on WhatsApp um, about all the possible tangents that this could go. It could go three million different ways. It could, there could be a story <laughs> about every player in the team, on both teams, really. Um, I, so, a, I, I have a, a few notes, and, and we may... Uh, touch upon those and and start uh, seeing how much we can get out of those. Perfect. But uh, given that you mentioned Laudrup, this match has four players that play for both teams, which is really rare. Yeah, yeah. Um, you have Luis Enrique, you have uh, Jika Haji, the Romanian, the uh, so-called the Maradona from the from the Carpats, is <laughs> 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 the mountains in in Romania. A fantastic left lefty, uh, and unforgettable. Then Laudrup and and Luis Milla, who was playing defensive mid- midfield for Mad- for Real Madrid. Yeah. So this is a really rare because, as as everyone knows, it's it's not very frequent that one player plays for both Real Madrid and Barcelona. Have we even and ever there were had four. two at the same time? Well, I guess Figo and Luis Enrique when they switched. Well, in this case, Celades uh, maybe played one of those games. Yeah, yeah, but in this case, Real Madrid has three. All, only uh, Luis Enrique hadn't gone to to Barcelona yet, but right. Milla and Laudrup came from Barcelona. Yeah. Um. So I think this was, you know, one of the things that I thought about watching this. I actually went back to to think about your article that you had written about, you know, whether Zidane should play the old guard now or not. Yeah. 
And to me, it's it's interesting when you look at the context of both these teams. Whereas, as you mentioned, Barcelona had just won think, three or four straight league titles, yeah. um, and and Real Madrid were in a, in a funk domestically. And then you look at this Barcelona team, and you can kind of see, I suppose, what happens when you linger and you get attached to legends too long. Um, yes, yes. Because when you look at those it Barcelona is- players, Komen was was like just a, such a step slow in, in this game. Yes. Um, Romario wasn't really himself. He, I mean, he came on the second half when it was 3-0 and they were down 10 men. You didn't notice him. But other than that, also, this was also not... This season wasn't his best either. Um, and so some of these... The names on this team, uh, with regards to Barcelona, they weren't the same. And I think what struck me the most about Barcelona in this game that I actually was shocked about, because this is the first time I've watched this from start to finish. I've only seen highlights of this game. Um, how yeah. actually they they were completely absolute zeros offensively. They had There was not one moment in this game where it looked like they were going to score, which shocked me. They just had nothing. It is brutal. that I had that written down as well. It was, I mean, in the, the first shot on goal, which is a completely forgettable shot is on by Haji on the 12th minute of the second half mm. they haven't even taken a shot <laughs> not even I'm not even saying on goal yeah <laughs> just, just a, a shot, shot anywhere yeah um so yes it, you 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 tend to see uh, and that's probably why why Cruyff was fired by from Barcelona because the renovation of the team uh he completely struggled with it and once uh the the defenders got a step uh slow or midfielders he didn't he didn't really ha- sign new new blood or or didn't get new players from the from the youth teams um you could see that they were completely overwhelmed and and you could see the up and coming versus the established incumbent and the up and coming were just biting everywhere you, you the the high press from real madrid i've rarely seen real madrid press as well as they did with under valdano that season you have amavisca raul and and zamorano who just can't stop going after the yeah. center backs and guardiola and they just couldn't get anything going that they, they, they there's steals in key uh spots of the pitch by every single forward, even Michael Laudrup. Uh, one of the goals is Michael Laudrup dispossessing Baquero inside Barcelona's area, inside the box. It's yeah. just crazy. That's the one that led and, to the Zamorano's third goal, I think, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, that Laudrup does his no-look pass. Yeah. Even though it was completely unnecessary because <laughs> there was, he wouldn't fool anyone. But but that Laudrup, did, Laudrup was such a fun player yeah. to watch. Uh, when he was, he would go on the run with the ball and and uh, head high. He was just there's yeah. two or three plays in this match that that just uh, I was I was uh, so glad to watch this again. Uh, yeah, so much fun. Um, in many ways, and and I think Lodrup also almost deserves his own podcast too. But in many ways, I think Lodrup was Zidane of his time. In that you know how like you go on Twitter now, and every now and yeah. then you see one of these Zidane compilations pop up. Where people are talking about the grace and elegance of Zidane, his dribbling, you know, his his, you know, all of his touches from a certain game, you could do yeah. that for Laudrup easily, and it's just yes. just as spectacular yeah. just to watch his smoothness and his elegance and his passing and his dribbling, 
there were a few instances in this game, it's like some of his dribbling. There was one in the second half where I've seen yes, it on YouTube that. before, but I've never actually seen it in the flow of this game where I can't even describe it. It's a very tight space. He just somehow just rolls yep. the ball. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yes. He, just, he, had yes this, it's... he had an art of rolling the ball to one side and going past players. Um, it, was, yep. it was pretty nice to watch. Um, you mentioned the pressing. That was one thing I noticed, like whether it was Amavisca or Raul or Zamorano uh, or Luis Enrique, it was relentless. And you could tell like, at this time, Raul, this is the very, very, very early stages of his career, just just, um, just beginning. And you could tell he's not completely polished offensively. Some of his passing was overhit. His, yes. He, had a, he, had a, he off, should have yes. scored in this game too. He had that yes. Zamorano cutback where he shoots right at Busquets' point-blank range. But he also... He just wouldn't stop running. He he was like it just insane pressure yes. constantly, constantly just tireless. Yeah. And that was the one thing that like, you know, we always gravitate towards Raul. It's for one of those reasons. It's like even when he was off or off his game or he was he wasn't in his peak yet or he was after his peak, the running just never well, ended. This was this was his first season. I mean, Baldano was the one that gave him the the opportunity to play uh, top level football and he was just 17. This was his first classico. So he was obviously overwhelmed, and and that means that you mentioned on on the first half probably uh, left him a bit unease, and he was replaced uh, during the match. Something that would rarely happen from that point onwards. But uh, yeah, as you mentioned, he's just tireless every single minute, going after the ball and and pestering uh, Abelardo and Nadal and, and Guardiola is is even. If he was not uh, accurate offensively, he was he was extremely helpful for for what Valdano wanted to do in that match. You mentioned also just the way Valdano plays, the the quickness, the directness, <clears throat> and kind of going back to the style of plays play of the Bujukanya era. Um, I that that did really strike me here in in the sense that there was like a frenetic pace to it that was you know people sometimes say that it was the game used to be slower if you yeah. watch games like this there's they, no they need proof to of watch that. this yeah yes. there's no yes. proof of, it was just constant the energy especially from well obviously mostly from real madrid was was at such a um state that it and it, it was maintained for the majority of the game i think in the second half it tailed off a little bit but we can talk about that but it was just this energy that was um really infinite <laughs> From from the first minute to the forty fifth yeah. minute, where Barcelona couldn't survive, whether it was the pressing, the quickness, the directness of play, um, it was really how to get from point A to point B as quick as possible, um, and it was so direct. And I think, you know, whether it was the pressing from the players or whether it was Ladrup's passing, or I was really impressed with with a few things. Um, and maybe just start on the other side of the field, the defending, because I think you, this is one of those rare opportunities where you can see what Hierro and Sanchez together in their primes look like. Um, yep. It was actually really, really fun to watch because, like, you know, people often forget these two are arguably the two best central defenders the club has ever had. Now, Ramos obviously changes that discussion, but. Um, whether it was Sanchez's incredible tackling to stop counterattacks, Hierro stepping up yep. to intercept passes, the passing from both of them, Sanchez's dribbling, Hierro's long-range passing, um, that was really 
fun to watch. And I'll be honest, like the, the other two defenders in this game, I, I can't say I know much about, like Kike Sanchez Flores. I know Flores, him as a manager yeah. more than a player. And yeah. Lassa on the other side, I didn't really know much about. So I, it, was, it was kind of fun to, to see. But maybe you have more insight in the back line. I'm, I'm going to use on, uh, a quote from the Valdano to describe Hierro and Sanchez, mm-hmm. which is that uh, he would say that they were better forwards than the forwards they used to face in every match. Hmm. So if you use Hierro and Sanchez as, uh, as strikers, they would play better than the strikers they were facing. <laughs> so uh, because they were so good with the ball and so good anticipating what was going to happen that uh, both of them played uh, midfield in in some point of the of his careers. Right. Uh, Sanchez, in fact, started like a central midfielder, as an offensive midfielder. And the fifth goal is a fantastic through ball from Sanchez mm. to Zamorano, and you see that the guy knows what he's doing with with the ball. And Anierro obviously played and scored a plenty of goals when when he was uh, on midfield, but he then went back as, as a centre-back and he was very similar to Kuhn, to Coman uh, in, in some senses because they were very good positionally and not great physically at this stage of these careers. Mm. But they were still so good understanding the different movements that uh, even if they were a tad bit slow, uh, you wouldn't even notice. Uh, it was, it was, and then Lassa and Flores, Valdano uh, loved offensive uh, fullbacks, but Lassa was the only option he had a left full, fullback. Lassa was not a good player. Was not a, a, was probably the the weakest link of of this squad. He was solid at the back, but uh, not very good with the ball. And Flores was a very good offensive uh, fullback and did did very well with Madrid um, and had two three very good seasons. Um, he played with Valencia and, and other teams and. I mean, people were really happy to have Flores, and he he fit with what uh, Valdano wanted to do. I think with Hierro too, it's you know we talk about Ramos, and he has 84 goals, which is a crazy number for a defender. And yeah. he, but you also kind of factor in his penalties, but that's unfair because he has so many important goals, with headers, and set pieces. Hierro, a whopping uh, 134 goals. Yeah. Uh, now, like he he played midfield for for a lot of those games, but like I just remember yes. growing up, like he he could hit free kicks, he could shoot from long distance. He was, I think, it, in a lot of ways, it's an advantage if you can get a defender like Sanchez and Hierro, who are so good on the ball, but they can defend. What an advantage! Because you know you could see how comfortable they were, you know, passing out of the back and uh, and building up play. So it was, you know, th- those two just just a phenomenal tandem that. Uh, that really should be immortalized, I think, as center backs. Yeah. Um, yeah. What about your? What was your assessment of of Mia? Because I thought he so he played that defensive midfielder role, and I was I was pretty impressed. Um, you know, you compare him to Guardiola in this game, like it was Guardiola. I loved Mia. I yeah. loved Mia to bits. Yeah. Uh, never as good a passer as Guardiola or as aesthetic in the way they played. Of course, a much more limited player than Fernando Redondo. But in this season, there was a huge argument between... uh, Valdano brought Redondo from Tenerife. Tenerife, uh, Redondo used to play for Tenerife. Mm. And uh, obviously, Redondo is just uh, like uh, the 
the defensive midfielder everyone would like to have. It's yeah. just so well again, so talented, so able to move forward and so well, so good tactically. But in this season, there was huge controversy between Milla and Redondo because um, many people, and I include myself among those, uh, thought that the team played better with Milla than with Redondo, even though we all acknowledge that Redondo was a much better player. But the fact is that this team, uh, for this team to work, the ball needed to be on Laudrup's boots. And uh, he knew what to do, how to get Amavisca or Luis Enrique or Tamorano or Raul involved. And what Milla did was still give it to Laudrup, still give it to Laudrup, always one touch. It is very rare to see Milla touch the ball two or three times. It's just, it just lets the play go. Mm. And that, uh, again, for the model that Valdano had in mind, which is a, a very fast ball circulation, was a lot better than Redondo. Redondo needed to enjoy himself with the ball. So he would get the ball, uh, stop it, look around, move to one side. He, he was a completely different player, and he became a lot more useful for Real Madrid with another defensive midfielder next to him. Milla was, I say, a better option when we would only play with one defensive midfielder. Well, certainly, uh, and Mia was three years older. Certainly, Redondo, Redondo would get his chance. Like there was, you know. Yeah. Um, sure. I think Mia Mia left in '97, and then Redondo was like the guy. But I was really yeah. impressed impressed with Mia in this game. You know, just like the way he was intercepting passes. Again, like I think I I could almost say this about almost everyone on this team, just because Barcelona really had nothing, nothing. Nothing. The, the, it's it's the, brutal. The yes. few times they got into Real Madrid's half, like they just looked up. They had no idea what to do. There were no outlets. And Real Madrid would just pick everything off of them. And I think, you know, even Amavisca was interesting to me because he's deployed as a left winger on paper. But yep. he's dropping deep. He's winning possession next to Mia at times. He's racing over to the right flank and providing, yes. uh, you know, an outlet there. He assisted Zamorano second. Um, It's funny. You think this, this could have been worse than five, right? Because... There was the Raul miss. Um, Zamorano three, had another miss. Three amazing chances that they miss. Yeah, the Raul one. Then Zamorano is a is a much different strike to do, but but it's a still a very clear occasion. And there's another one by Laudrup that it was a shame because Laudrup oh, that's right, yeah. never knew how to finish, but because he would have been a, a I don't know a top ten player in the world, but he just couldn't finish. It was terrible. He couldn't finish, but on the better. flip side, he had these unbelievable sh- goals that you had no idea how he scored those ones, like the long-distance yeah, shots it, and the chip shots. It's one of those cases where he seems like he thrives on scoring the difficult one, and then he misses three very, really easy ones. Yeah, yeah, he had that and there chance. Was an, there was a penalty on Luis Enrique as well, so it, this yeah. could have been 6-7, easy, easy, easy. There was a penalty on Luis Enrique. I think Baquero was the one who tripped him up, but also in the second half, there was a... I can't entirely confirmed this because there was one replay where Zamorano was offside in the second half where I don't think he was offside. I could yes. be wrong. It was marginal. Well, they were playing, you, you saw that, they were playing like 40 meters away from, from the goal, Barcelona's back four. Right. And there were like 10, 11 offsides. Yeah. It was extremely risky when they missed like in, in the fifth goal or the, 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 they, it, was, it was just extremely risky. And especially when you're lead, when you're trailing already, but that that was Cruyff, right? That was his belief that you had to play a certain way, and 
he would never, never uh, change his mind. Yeah, they played a very high line, and this is kind of one of the fallbacks of like if it's not working, then you can there is this there's this vulnerability to it, and the offsides. I think Zamorano himself was offside five times. Um, yeah, Zamorano also was. This is he was the top scorer in the league that year. Three of his goals obviously came in this game. Um, a huge, a huge, you know, turning point for Real Madrid also was just how how well he played that entire season because he was one of the reasons they won the league too. And uh, I don't know if and he, yeah he scored the, the the clutch goal against Deportivo at home mm. uh, two two weeks before the end of of La Liga. We needed to win that match to win La Liga, and he scored in at the end of the second half. Another cracker. Um, this is this uh, has another context that I hadn't mentioned earlier, which is when Valdano came on, he had five strikers, and uh, he said that to him he wanted to sell Zamorano, just similarly to what happened with Zidane and Bale this this summer, and he said in a press conference that. He had five strikers, and that Zamorano was the fifth, and that interesting. Uh, that. He would only play if all the other four strikers were injured or suspended, hmm. uh, just for Zamorano to understand that things were really tough for him to work to to play. Uh, but you could see why he ended playing because, well, this match it, uh, by Zamorano is, I would say, it's, it's a perfect match. It, it is hard to say this uh, from a striker, but. I mean, he scores three times. He assists another goal. He hits the post on the on the fifth goal. So he's in every single right. goal involved, yeah. almost really close to score. And the only the only miss is is that that volley that is arguably a high a, a high difficulty. Yeah, it wasn't that hit. easy. Yeah, but the, it's not only that he scores three and assists another one and and is involved in every single offensive play of the match is just that he pestered Barcelona's defense non-stop all, all 80 some minutes that he played it's just crazy stuff you can't play any better than this being a forward yeah um, I Butragani was on the bench in this game for some reason I had trouble finding who was on the bench in this game other than the obviously yes. subs that came in but yes yes he was yeah he, this was his his last season with with Real Madrid and it was hard because it was Valdano who had been his teammate in in the 80s uh, the coach that had to start taking him out or leaving him on the bench or not even calling him for matches right so it was kind of this was kind of the the change from Butragueño to Raul this was the season were you at this game yes you were yes that should have been my first yes. question I forgot to ask that <laughs> I wasn't a socio yet. I became a socio on January, the like two months later, and uh, or, or six weeks later on this match. But I, I was here, yes. So you were sitting in a different seat than your normal seat. Yes, it was South End as well, but uh, but a different seat. The the burnabout doesn't yeah. get this loud anymore, right? <sighs> wow, no, no. When no, was the last time you felt the burnabout was truly loud? Well, against Barcelona, it gets really, really loud. And uh, even though the last few matches have been terrible, it's always uh, uh, it's always huge pressure. Against Bayern on the semis of the Champions League, mm-hmm. 
three years ago that was that was huge that was noise um but i mean it, it's never the same anymore uh, and one of the things is, is is the stance in fact i mean even if you have an organized supporter group uh people standing be- behind the goals made a huge difference the, you see the movement yeah. when we score it or looks when like we're a about mosh to pit score or something yeah how they yell uh, uh i recommend that people uh watch the descending off of Stoichkov on the 42nd, 43rd minute of yeah. the first half, because <laughs> the people, the, the 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 fans next to the left side where Stoichkov was playing, are going nuts. <laughs> it's just, I mean, they want him dead. <laughs> it's, Especially it, him. you can see them yelling like crazy. Uh, it's a perfectly right sending off, by the way. It's just one of a classic Stoichkov, extremely dirty play. Yeah. I mean, not even his teammates are going to to defend him. It, <laughs> it's just they leave him out uh, out there, and just Baquero goes to the referee because he's the captain. But the rest of the players know perfectly well what Stoichkov just did. Well, it also takes a long time for the red card to come out, right? Because there's this whole yeah. there's this whole like build up to it where after um, Stoichkov steps on. Kike Flores, where yes. Paco Buya runs out, he's trying to break everything up. He's trying to calm things down, and um, it's just a it's just a mess. So I wasn't in my head. I was th- thinking, so what are they taking so long to discuss here? There's no VAR, obviously. I, I, I wasn't. There was replays happening, so I wasn't sure if he was talking to the linesman or. But it took a while for that red card, so there was also all that build up to it, um, yeah. which I think, like, by that time and at halftime. Barcelona's body language, if it wasn't destroyed already, it was completely shot coming out. That was half. the final. Yeah, yeah, that was the final nail in the coffin. They yeah. they started well the second half, but they were ten, and yeah. and uh, Real Madrid were still pressing. Uh, so they, uh, when I say that they started well, it's just that they kept the ball. This this Barcelona team was not thought to to defend or dispossess the opposition. Was was built to have the ball and. That's why they they suffered so much in this match because they they just didn't have any of the ball until the the beginning of the second half when they were three 0 down with one man less. So um, yeah, it, it was it was a very tough match for them. Well, the um, the second half was it wasn't as exciting as the first half until one of your favorite players comes on, and I think when Martin Vasquez replaces Raúl, there was some life back injected back into it because um, it had slowed down a little bit until that point and martin vasquez it's not the direct assist but he does that move where you where you pass it around a player run on the other side and get it back and then he crosses it to zamorano you mentioned he hits the post and then luis enrique scores and then real madrid immediately score the fifth like within it was almost like the replays hadn't stopped yes. for the fourth goal and when we saw the fifth goal exactly and you see the fifth yes yes that was um, that was a, a great substitution because you needed more control of the ball and and Martin Vasquez was a, a pure midfielder yeah. rather than not like Raúl who always thought of scoring and go, going forward. Martin Vasquez was great at build up play, so they they left Amavisca next to Zamorano. Uh, they always understood each other amazingly well, Amavisca and Zamorano, and then Martin Vasquez took the the left hand side and. Uh, he loved moving around. I mean, he didn't like to stay uh, on the left uh, 
for for a long time and and that's what you see on on that match he he decides to to generate some some superiority numbers on the right and uh there's another terrible play by Barcelona tra- trying to come up uh, with the ball uh, and a build up and they Real Madrid steals and then there's this it's just such a classy touch over Nadal uh, yeah. to to dribble him <laughs> it's just mesmerizing just a very, very uh, sweet touch, and he's dribbled, and then the cross. Um, and and as you say, the, uh, Barcelona looked completely groggy at that point. And that's out of the out of the kickoff from the fourth goal. Uh, they're just completely all over the place, and yeah. they missed uh, Zamorano and Mavisca by themselves. The the offside trap doesn't work, and and they're they're just five 0 in a matter of. One and a half minutes. It's, yeah, it's, it's brutal. This just uh, is the boxer, the, the the boxer groggy metaphor is perfect for this. Yeah, and you can kind of see. It's funny because if you watch the fifth goal, you can see the state of the team and the state of Coleman, who yeah, he has his arms up, calling for offside during the entire sequence instead of actually defending. So yes, he had a little bit of time to go and try to close that pass from Zamorano to Amavisca, but instead he just has his hands up, asking, begging for the offside, um, begging for some mercy from the linesman. In all honesty, you have to you have to give Cruyff kudos because he he, he lost his, his his Stoichkov, uh, his left forward. He he had been playing on the left. And he replaced Guardiola for Romario, <laughs> so it's like he took over his midfield, <laughs> it's like, yeah, uh, because he wanted to have another forward. And and he was three 0 down. I mean, he could have thought, okay, let's keep it like this, and and let's try to not embarrass ourselves here. And he's like, no, <laughs> we need to score. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. Um... And and one funny one funny thing about this is that. At the end of the match, uh, Kreef criticized the referee, said that the referee had done a terrible job and that uh, uh, the referees in Spain needed uh, more coaching and more training because this was an example of a terrible refereeing, blah, blah, blah. And the referee answered. is is really rare because referees back then used to speak to the media. This is not the case anymore. And he said that, uh, why is Kreef talking about my performance when he had Stoichkov play as uh, next to my linesman. <laughs> what is Stoichkov doing? It, it, it felt like Stoichkov was man-marking my linesman <laughs> rather than playing football. <laughs> so it was pretty brutal. Um, and, and yeah, this, uh, this Barcelona team was not built to, to do what they had to do in this match. And, and one thing that really caught my attention on, on in terms of then the pressing of Madrid and the way they 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 press. There's at least three corner kicks in which Barcelona ends up playing in their own half mm. because they kick they kick the corner and then whoever gets the ball next to the box of Real Madrid has to go back 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 and then the ball ends up back in in Barcelona's half. Mm. It's just every single player going after the ball like maniacs. I mean, I've, it, 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 at some point you think they're just gonna die. It, it, they just can't keep this this level of running, and that's why the the substitutions came came uh, at the right time. And obviously, when you've scored three in the first half, that gives you an extra bit of stamina to to keep going. So, 
I have a, I think I have a good tangent to go on here. Okay. Uh, to kind of circle back to some of the problems of the club. Because when you look at some of the most memorable classicos, they all had one element, from a Real Madrid perspective anyway. They all had one element. They had, they had this intangible maridismo factor in it. And to me, it's not about, you know, whether it's Spanish players or, or youth players. That, that may or may not need to be the case for certain situations, for, for that fight and hunger, that relentless pressing the energy to happen. It has to do with the coach, too, obviously. It has to do with the mindset of the players. Um, but you need those guys. And in this game, yeah. you know, for, for all of Cruyff's, you know, the orgasm that Barcelona fans have over his DNA and his tactics and his football... Um, it fell apart today for one of one of the reasons was because of that. You look at the the body language of the Barcelona players and that of the Real Madrid players. It wasn't yeah. just tactics. Tactics were a huge part of it. Um, it kind of reminded me of also the three one classical win in two thousand fifteen. Was it? Yeah. With James Nisco, where the team was just relentlessly pressing and winning the ball in high positions, and you know, and then it capped off with Isco dispossessing Iniesta. And, yep. and and Benzema scores. It reminds me of that. And I also want to indicate like you can't you can't go away from that. And it's also funny, like if you looked at there was so there's been situations in club history where you look at a certain game or a certain uh run of games and you're like, Well, this means that Real Madrid is headed in this direction and Barcelona is headed in this direction and it's not necessarily the case. Because I think if you if you looked at this game, you could easily say this is Barcelona's decline. This is the rise of Real Madrid. And yeah. while that was true for a couple years, yeah, um, it actually Valdano lost his job the following season. Right, Valdano was sacked. Um, yeah. Eventually, Barcelona were champions. I think within three years again, they won back to back league titles again, and Real Madrid yeah. went to this domestic funk, and then even that. They they finished was it fifth or fourth the 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 year they won the Champions League, um, yep. So I just I don't know what it is. I don't I, you know we've had this kind of we had this feeling too similarly when we beat Barcelona in the Super Cup a couple years ago where we thought that the two teams were heading to different directions and that wasn't the case. But there is like that's the tangent I wanted to go on. It's that <laughs> there is sometimes I don't know if we get too comfortable with a certain you know, game and we think we've turned the corner, but there is that consistency that we've kind of failed to acknowledge and we and we don't have through so many years of, of the modern era. Uh, there's a few elements here which I believe uh, explain uh, uh, the, the, the the way they play this match and it's not only the, the not only the context but also that Valdano was a coach that knew what Real Madrid meant as a team, as a club, I mean, he had played for Real Madrid for, for quite a few seasons and, and had won, Valdano had won those uh, UEFA Cups in the late 80s or, or the mid 80s. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is exactly the same atmosphere that you could feel in those uh, UEFA Cup matches. Yeah, when when they lost the first leg, three one or two nil, two nil, and they would win back home at five nil or six one, and and that's exactly the atmosphere he wanted to bring to to this match. So he knew um, what to say to the media so that the fans were fired 
build up. He knew how to motivate the players, and he knew what what this meant uh, uh, for the club. And and that's probably why he chose why Zamorano convinced him to to start because he saw that Zamorano had the right attitude in terms of is is the pressing is the movement the movement of the forwards in this match is just unbelievable they're always giving midfield options to to find them open it's just uh, i mean uh current days Benzema does this one every five matches this type of movement and when he does it he's a fantastic forward but it's just this is not what he does every match and and it's not a question is 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 a, is much more a mental question, which I believe is where you're going at with with this tangent, than than physical or technical. It's just that you need to understand that this is how you play every match yeah. for this club, not yeah. just one match here or there. This is this is how you're expected to perform every match, and and that's what gets you uh, to. And, and and that's why I I really like that Zidane's come back, even if technically you may have your differences with him. But uh, the fact is that he understands what the club is about, and he's unhappy where the fans are unhappy, and 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 I do believe that he has what it takes to motivate the team and and to explain to them what what means for the fans and 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 the supporters that that you play for Real Madrid, and this is something that should be lost um, and in some cases has been lost this is um, this is a good game to show those people who who get angry when we bring up the fact that an attacker can defend because throughout like the last couple yes. two to three years um, there will be a Ramjard attacker who had a bad game but then we'll go back and we'll point out and we'll we'll go through and we'll make a video compilation sometimes even and and highlight all of the defensive work he did and people, some people's reaction to that is they're not supposed to defend; they're supposed to score. And I think this is a this is the game to show them. Like this is like that's that's not true. How do you think the team retains possession? How do you think that energy comes comes into being in the first place? You and and I remember because I remember we 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 had a video of Benzema a couple years ago, and it just showed kind of some of his pressing, and someone. Someone messaged us privately and said, Raul would never do this. Raul would only score goals. He, Benzema needs to say more like Raul. I'm like, did you ever watch Raul play? <laughs> Raul was the, no, the ultimate defensive forward. <laughs> no. like he, he wouldn't stop. He didn't. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyways, yeah. I, I just remember even those, as I called them, the long hair Raul days where his, his, he grew his hair and his decline started. And he had that long hair. Yes. Um, <laughs> I remember. I have this very vivid memory of him, where he wasn't in his peak anymore. He had the, the hair was at his shoulders, and he had this one sequence where um, he runs. The ball was out of almost out of play. Like he had no business getting it. I think it. I don't know who it was against. It was a La Liga game, and he runs and he beats the defender. And he saves the ball going from a goal kick and gets it for a th- deep throw in instead. And the entire stadium just stood up and applauded that effort. And, you know, the Bernabeu was yes, demanding. That, that was... Yeah. 
Well, I was just going to say the burnabout no, was a very those, demanding. Those were what I called the the populist uh, Raul runs. He loved those. Yeah, <laughs> those are. He knew we would applaud that no matter what. When in doubt, just do do even a sprint. if he didn't get there. Yeah, but I'm. Yeah. I, but I was going to say that the burnabout was a very demanding place. But you put in the effort, yeah. and they're with you. That yeah, no, ultimately that's what they want, right? Like it's. You know, they, they, they want the effort. They want the, the, the strong body language. They want the fight. They want the, the bite and the hunger that Regulon and Vinicius showed in the Classico last season. They don't want players going through the motions and walking around. Yep. That's it. So, I don't know. Exactly. At some point, it's exactly. complicated, but at some point, it's simple, too. It's even farther than that. It's, it's not that they want that. It's that we believe that the, cl- the club stands for that. Yeah. That is what makes us different. That you you just do not give up, yeah. And you play every match. You you don't go to play because out of respect for rivals, you play uh, for against the second division team in the Copa del Rey. You have to play exactly the same the same way as in the Champions League match. I know this is difficult to 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 process, but that's that's uh, that's what we were raised on uh, when when you root for Real Madrid and. And of course, the attackers have to press, and 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 that may uh, the, the the forwards not defending be something out of the 80s, but that's just not the case anymore. You just can't afford to have two players not defending. It just, I mean, the other team starts attacking in on half. You do that. It's it's just not 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 feasible anymore. Um, we have a few minutes left. Are there any other tangents you want to go on? Yes, a couple, just okay. a couple. Um, one of them is uh, Barcelona's keeper is Busquets' father. Um, okay, it is, isn't it? I, I, I just saw the last name. I didn't goalkeeper. know. Terrible <laughs> goalkeeper. Yes, he was a terrible goalkeeper. Terrible. I mean, um, he would. We would all say, even Barcelona fans, that he was kind of like a like a handball goalkeeper. Like, rarely use his hands. To, to save the ball, just to he would just parry it away, away mm. and he would wear those uh, those uh, long um, uh, like trousers, training trousers, rather than being in shorts. Mm. And uh, he was there because Cruyff thought he was very good with with his feet, wow. and that some things uh, never change. It was obviously a part of his beliefs. Yes, it was a part of his beliefs that he. To be good, but he makes terrible mistakes with his feet in this match, and and he was not very good as a keeper either. So it was, yeah, we made a lot of fun out of Busquets. We never expected that his son would be such a good defensive midfielder. <laughs> and uh, the second thing is, uh, brands in the stadium and and brands in in the in Real Madrid. Uh, in the nineties, mm-hmm. we would. Uh, exploit so poorly the marketing of the stadium that you could see um, advertisements of uh, erotic restaurant. I'm not joking. An erotic restaurant oh, really? uh, on the on the video, yeah, on the on the screens of the stadium, and and you see that Real Madrid was wearing uh, Kelme, which is a Spanish brand of of uh, of sportswear, mm-hmm. but like a really humble one. 
who probably didn't pay anything to <laughs> to <laughs> to have Real Madrid as as their team and uh, and also Teca. Teca is the the sponsor of the shirt yeah. and is uh, a Spanish company that does kitchens. Yeah. So imagine, I mean, we're not wearing Emirates and multinationals paying right. or Adidas paying like I don't know 40, 50 million a year. And these guys were on Real Madrid shirts for pretty much nothing. That's that's how poorly we exploited mm. our, our marketing. Yeah. The the Teca I didn't even know was a kitchen brand until uh I went to Spain like year like almost a decade after um we stopped having them on, uh, sponsored on a shirt, and I saw my cousin's uh, oven was Teca. I was like, "Oh, that's what this was the whole time." It's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and and the last thing is um, Michael Laudrup is wearing Patrick's uh, football shoes. Uh, his okay. boots. Uh, th- these boots I had completely forgotten they existed, and uh, I just read on the internet that they still exist, and they they. They're, they brand a, a, a number of medium clubs, smaller clubs, and they're from Belgium. And Kevin Keegan wore them back in the day. Mm-hmm. But uh, honestly, since Michael Laudrup wore Patrick's, I I haven't I haven't seen anyone wearing Patrick's again. <laughs> None, no player. I've never even heard it's, of it. Again, another chance. Yeah, is it, they have just uh, two stripes. Uh, really close to the hill. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. Uh, yeah. Take a look on the web, but th- that, those were his shoes. And and Martin Basket was uh, w- had fought with the comp- the shoe company that he was working with, and uh, he was wearing Adidas, but he just took the three stripes out, <laughs> so they were looked like black boots completely. <laughs> he took the stripes out. So yeah, but pretty random stuff. But yes. Yes, okay. he didn't want to do the the uh, the publicity for them without being paid for it. Oh wow! <laughs> um, so yeah, that's... who was this commentator that we were that we had? Do you know who this was? I I I no, I watched so much without the without oh, you the sound, did. but I oh, can shoot. Check. Well, the uh, I was going to ask if you knew who he was because um, he was terrible. <laughs> It was a Spanish commentator who, really? who looked like he was really suffering in this game and was like very, very monotone. And he narrated every goal like someone was uh, hurting him. I don't, I don't know. I thought maybe he was a Kool Aid or well, something. It could be that this was commented after the match, something like that. Oh, maybe. But let me check. I'll, I'll drop you a tweet so that everyone. Okay finds out about this guy okay yeah go back and watch <laughs> it with audio and let me know um all right <clears throat> well this was this was great um because this was the first time i have actually watched this from start to finish apart from highlights um it's it's cool the more the more you watch of real Madrid's history the more context you're provided uh about everything so Essentially, the best thing to do is to kind of keep going, going, watch the surrounding games, watch the games from the year before, and kind of just building the pieces together because it's very hard to do that otherwise. Um, and I would encourage everyone to do it too. So watch these games alongside with us if you can. We tweet out the links. We tweeted out this morning. It'll be in the show notes. And uh, this was a lot of fun. Ed, thank you for, for doing this. And we'll we'll chat soon. Hala Mari.
quick break before we jump into part two with Lucas. Wanted to give patron shout outs. So patreon.com slash managing Madrid is where you go to pledge. If you want access to the loan tracker segment that Matt Wilty and I do, which now Kubo was added to the list, by the way, um, going to Mallorca. The list is long. We go through and we watch all of the loanies every weekend. We report on them every Tuesday morning. That's only available for patrons. Among other bonus shows you'll get and guaranteed responses to your questions and specific shout-outs if you pledge $10 or more. So quick shout-out um, to these $10-plus patrons. Mikhail Nilsson, Frederick Sundros, John Fernandez, Said Mahad, Nick DeStefani, Adam Dorsey, Frederick Rantakiro, Pascal Said, Leon Stavranakis, Christian Gonzalez, Bjorn Salvador, Essa Hariri, Ilian Zako, Yahya Ibrahim, Willie Reed, Nick Ribeiro, Eric Rogers, Sad Omar, Oluwapomimo, Oludonjoy, Patrick Odayafari, Christian Topped, Dan Berthy, Armin Gashi, Tarek Sphere, Kunal Tilikar, Marin Myrtle, Tyler Dixon, Raul Gutierrez, Ragab Potluri, Vicky Cohen, Gary Kohut, Sujaiwani, Pena Maridisa, San Francisco Bay Area, Brandon Stevens, Casper Moscala, Catherine Fagundo, Zoran Bosnchich, Josue Ayala, Crystal Glass, Rafael Servia, Yihin Liang, Karen Scherer, Somanshu Singh, Brennan Powers, Rovi Tahiev, Amy L, Anthony Armesto, Shabazz Sharapov, Fabian Moreno, Varun, Bernard Kufour, Jack Edgar, Ashik Bashar, AMB6901, Daniel Pinkney, Magnus Lex, Jason Fitz, Anton Hackberg, and Solomon Ortiz. Thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts. And without further ado, here is part two with Lucas Navarrete. Okay, welcome to part two of the Managing Madrid podcast, a continuation of this glorious day where now, um, a very historic moment, Lucas Navarrete is about to make his annual uh, appearance, but although this may be the first of a weekly thing for for Lucas. So Lucas Navarrete, um, obviously one of the pillars of Managing Madrid, has been around more than any of us um, really since the beginning. Um, Welcome to the show, Lucas. Thanks, Kim. Thanks for having me and thanks for, for your kind words also. Um, how are you doing? Genuine question. Like, well, how is the summer going? Um, are you excited for the season to start? Are you done with all these transfer rumors? Are you you finally vindicated that Benzema proved you right after all these all this time? Yeah. Well, first of all, it's very very hot in in Valencia. Those who always believe that uh, Spanish weather is really good uh, are wrong. <laughs> You're sweating all the time. It's it's pretty terrible can't wait for october to come and yeah about about the team i'm uh, moderately excited i honestly expected a little bit more of a of a revolution probably but uh and yeah i'm obviously happy about benzema proving proving me right after naming him the well predicting he would become the most valuable player of last season and i think he will continue to do so this season as well. Who did you predict for this season? I I, I don't remember who no, you Benzema, put for the round table. Again, you put Benzema yeah, again? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. For sure. Um, all right. So we have uh, a bunch of questions to go through. Some of these questions will take us into some of Real Madrid's history. Other questions will take us into some direct news uh, regarding Kaylor. And we'll get into some other stuff. But I think the only thing outside of the topics that came in from the questions that we should touch on, I guess, is... Um, Takfusa Kubo officially yep. right really when we started recording is now confirmed he's going to Mallorca um, yep. pretty good move you think? 
Yeah, I think so. I think it was needed. I think he proved to be much better than than Castilla's level right now. I think he could really be an important player in in Mallorca. Maybe perhaps not a starter from the get go, but I think he needs minutes in in La Liga more than than in the Segunda División B, being 18 years old. Uh, I had a a good discussion with with Sam mm-hmm. on Twitter healthy discussion by all means <laughs> and he said that he compared Kubo's case with Odegaard but I think that two years older than, than Kubo is right now make a big difference I mean if Kubo was 16 years old I'd be okay with having him in Castilla but he he needs to start playing in La Liga right now and I think Mallorca will give him a, a nice opportunity for that yeah I agree I think I, I don't see any scenario like if if I often mention this but if Castillo was in Segunda as opposed to Segunda Bay maybe yeah big difference big that's difference. a big difference yeah. yeah but Segunda Bay is such a low level and not only is it a low level it's it's a lot of ang- it's like just a lot of angry talentless people who want to want to yeah, break legs yeah difficult fields also especially in the winter you know tough madrid winter in terrible pitches pretty significant injuries sometimes uh, the segunda division is just completely different i'll be okay with 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 him playing in the segunda division but obviously la liga is better even if maybe it'll be tougher for him to to get re- very relevant minutes consistently um first question well, this will stay on this uh, this note of transfers, uh, and in this case, a potential transfer. Raúl Gutiérrez says, "Hey y'all, I've recently read that Kaylor Navas has handed in a transfer request. If this is true and he actually leaves the club, who would we have as a backup?" Right now, the backup would be Altuve, I think, which is certainly not a solid backup in case Courtois picks up an injury or something, which he can because he's kind of an injury prone for being a goalkeeper you tend to see him missing like four or five games every single season which is not a big deal if you have a solid backup but mm. i'm guessing that that madrid will go after a, an experienced backup reports say that they're looking into pepe reina situation in milan i think he would be decent in case courtois gets injured i'm not entirely convinced that navas will be leaving not really. Uh, obviously, he will not be satisfied with his current role behind Courtois, but I'm not so sure that Madrid will let him go. First of all, for free. I don't think any any club will offer him, will offer Madrid uh, big money if they have to match his contract. And with ten days left in the in before the transfer window closes, I'm not so sure that Navas. Will be living Madrid right now. Right now, um, I I'd be shocked if PSG looked at Kaylor as like the deal breaker to Neymar. I don't think he's the one who moves a needle. Nah, you know no. what I mean. Like if I mean now, nah, we said that I'm sure they want to upgrade Araola, who is um, who's who he's has solid him. though. Mm, I ask PSG fans what they how they feel about him. <laughs> okay, um, at least he has potential. Well. I, regardless of how they feel about him or not, I, I doubt they're like, oh, we only sell Neymar if Kaylor comes, you know. So I don't, as much as Kaylor might want to leave yeah, if he wants to play more, uh, I just, you know, from Real just perspective, it's we're screwed if Courtois gets injured, so no. And B, I don't think 
you know, it, you'd have to be a filler for an, a Neymar transfer, which yeah. I don't, I don't know if PSG is that keen on. Like, you know, if if they reportedly rejected that mega offer, which consisted of Bale and James and Kaylor and money, which, by the way, how do you feel about that? Because do you, how much truth do you think there is to a report like that? I don't think it's very reliable. Uh, I, I, we often see many, many reports indicating that teams are going to swap players, but <laughs> it never happens, you know. You know I mean, it doesn't happen very often, to say the least. So I'm not entirely convinced about, you know, players of, of that kind of magnitude, like Bale, James, Navas, yeah. getting, getting involved in such a big transfer. Even though, obviously, Madrid or Barcelona will try to include some players on that potential deal to, you know, decrease the the final price i imagine like uh i just i just can't imagine psg turning that down unless they're just crazy because the alternative reality is they they turn it down and they that they neymar's value decreases even further for next summer or um they just let him eventually walk for free which i don't think is going to happen i don't know if you're going to get a better offer than this um at this yeah point. i'm not sure either yeah I'm not sure about that either. I suppose if you stack everything up, it's it's about a 200 million offer. If you if you kind well of... how but but how nobody's willing to pay more than 30 40 millions for Hames. Yeah. We saw Bale almost leaving the club for nothing. Yeah. So so you think um, it's less than 200? Yeah, people yeah. keep adding up like Hames, Bale, and Navas market value, like you know. Well, what, they're probably what going they to think reasonable, but yeah. nobody of in the end nobody offers money for neither Bale nor uh, Keylor Navas. James is the question mark here because Atleti seemed ready to to send uh, at least a forty million offer, but for Bale and Navas, I mean, of course they uh, they are apparently at least worth fifty million, especially Bale. Of course, Navas is older, and you know doesn't have that kind of value anymore but in the end nobody offers that money so what's the real value well that's exactly it like this the market is whatever the reality is and what people are willing exactly. to offer so i think and, what, and almost left for nothing again yeah i think what a lot of these people did is what i did is you go to transfer market look up their market value yeah yeah uh but the problem with doing that is that bale's value on transfer market now i don't have the tab open i think it was like well james's was 57 um that's too much which is way that's too not much realistic. now Kaler's was only 11 so maybe you there's wiggle room to have that's his, about it yeah yeah um maybe you could even argue it's a bit higher than that but james uh, is definitely not 57 given what the market is and bales is listed as uh 68 which i don't think it's that well, much either no that that's that's definitely not realistic yeah. you, you cannot find any club in europe willing to take bales contract and offer 67 million yeah um yeah exactly there's no way um the other the the backup to to courtois the other i would i would put bellman a bit higher than Altuve. i think he's a better goalkeeper he's been better in castile the last few years um i guess the which you, you the, the point that you will circle back to the point that you made but I, you don't think Kaler's is going to leave i don't either but if he did leave um then it would suck that we lost lunin uh, yeah, because yeah, Lunin, we don't even yeah. know if Lunin's going to play regularly behind Massive exactly. at Valladolid, so he might as well just be a backup to Courtois in that case. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 
Elian Zako says, first of all, you guys do a great job and you're highly underrated for the product you present. So thank you. Uh, thanks, Elian. Uh, Elian says, you guys know that I am a Ceballos number one fan and I'm so happy to see him light it up for Arsenal. But I'm also horrified by our fans' complete hate of the guy. Just look at the comments on Managing Madrid. My question is, um, while I was guilty of the same about Kovacic, I used to love him in, in Real Madrid, but I feel there is a difference because Kovacic did not do himself any favors when he started talking about Chelsea, as if it's the best club, thus alienating the fans who believed in him. Ceballos did nothing of the sort. Why do you think he gets so much hate? I think he gets a hate because he started talking about, uh, after Zidane left, which, you know, I don't blame him. I don't think his situation was fair during Zidane's last season before his return. But he probably should have stayed quiet, uh, work and enjoy the change of situation he had after Zidane left. But I think people didn't didn't really like his comments after Zidane's departure last year. Do you agree? Um, probably has something to do with it. Um, I, I, I tend to think fans are more are, can be forgiving of, um, of players' comments so long as, you know, like I always felt like sometimes we take those things out of context a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of emotion involved. And also players change. They get more mature. They say the wrong things. And then the next year they understand that it was yeah. the wrong thing to say. So... But with Ceballos, I think part of it is that a lot of people just didn't really understand what he was doing on the pitch. Um, you know, I I could see it from the beginning with Betis. I th- I thought he was, and um, is is he has a unique vision to his game, where yeah. he sees passes that nobody else sees. Um, yeah. and he has a very good understanding of just kind of like a natural feel to the game that I think is rare. Yeah. I don't I don't know how true it is that people hate him. To be honest. Um, uh, I don't know. Maybe you read comments more than I do, but I think with I haven't seen much on Twitter just to suggest that people hate. Him. I think when people, a lot of people now, this is a reactionary fan base, so maybe this will change next week. But after that Arsenal game, all I saw on Twitter was they should we should have kept him. Um, everyone from fans to prominent journalists who appeared on my timeline, they all said like, "Why did you let this yeah. guy go?" Maybe that'll change next week if he misses an open net. I don't know. That's just how Twitter is, but I don't know if there's much. Is there really that much hate towards him? Well, I think he gets uh, a big amount of criticism, and I think he got it last season and the past two years as well. I th- I also think that his style of play maybe doesn't suit uh, what people expect from Real Madrid. He keeps the ball. We know that he likes to demand the ball and keep the ball maybe too often and too long. Just pretty much like Isco, and people say he kills the pace of the of the team and everything. I don't know. Maybe it has to do with that too. Don't, don't yeah, you think that it, yeah. it's similar to the to the criticism Isco receives about you know it's keeping the ball similar. for too long? Yeah, very yeah. similar. Very similar. Yeah. Um, He's killer. You know, he kills every counter attack because he dribbles for too long. Yeah, yeah which I think is. Uh, is is overblown to an extent. It's it's one of those myths that get exaggerated over time. I think. Yeah. Um, you watch him play. There's certainly no intention in his, in his style of play where he slows it down. Now I think he's a slow player, which is different. Like he's not as lightning quick and agile as as some yeah, other Kroos players. Kroos yeah, is slow as well. And... Yeah. Um, now Kroos is like very vertical, so he's always he has that about him. Now, Isco, I think, 
some of these players, I also think you take the good and the bad. So like Isco has a certain kind of genius to him where he unlocks defenses. Yeah. Um, low blocks that you can't really penetrate. And Definitely. in games like that, he's a, he's he can be a huge asset. Now, I don't know if he's he's consistently that player, but we have the sample size, especially that 16-17 season where he was such a key player. So, yeah. Um, okay, this one is interesting. So Kunal Tilakar says, can you make a Fabrica 11 for us from the past 30 or so years? The players who have had the best career for themselves, not necessarily at Madrid. This question, by the way, surfaces like once every few months, Lucas, and I always make uh-huh. one and then I forget it. So I have to go and do it again from scratch. <laughs> I'm, I need to save it next time. But do you have anything? Did you put together something for us? Yeah, yeah. I have a, a starting lineup. I cheated a little bit. I'll tell you not right now, but let's go. Uh, it's Casillas in goal, of course. It's Carvajal on the right back. Arbelo as a center back because he played as a center back for Castilla. That's mm. that's my cheat here. Mm. <laughs> Sanchez as the other center back. Yeah, obviously. I doubt it between Felipe Luis and Camacho as the, as the left back, but I wasn't sure if Camacho played a lot for Castilla. So I, I went with Felipe Luis, even though we know that he didn't play for Madrid when he went pro. Ooh. Cambiaso as a starting defensive midfielder. Yep. Mata and Guti as the central midfielders, very offensive here. And Etor, Raul, and Butragueño up front. It's a very offensive lineup. Maybe that's it's not realistic to play those 11 men together. Wait, who but, was the front know. three? Eto, Butragueño? And Raul. And Raul, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, the, the way to cheat with this is to bring in players who never have no legacy at Real Madrid, like Eto, um, like Felipe Luis. But they, they, they came through, so they count technically. Yeah, the, the the question contemplated that possibility, right? That's yeah. why I include yeah. them. So, so here's here's what I have. Uh, Casillas. Yeah. I have, I put Nacho instead of Arbeloa. So Sanchez and Nacho. Hmm. Um, okay. Right back Chendo. I did. Okay. I did have Camacho at left back. I did have Cambiaso as the defensive midfielder, and I put. I put Martin Vasquez there, obviously a key figure of the really? Quinta del Buitre era. Um, I put I, I I had Guti in there. Ah, you have to, man. Yeah, Guti. You had Guti, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Of course. Uh, and then the only difference in my attack and yours, instead of uh, Eto, I put Michel, just kind of on the right there. Yeah, the right I back. thought about it, but we have to agree that Eto had a far better career in football. Of than course, Michel. yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could you any honorary mentions that you had in there? Well, I'm not sure since I deleted my other thoughts. <laughs> but yeah, well, I told you about Camacho. Uh, I thought about Chendo, of course, but you know, Carvajal has won so much that I think he's 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 sure. gone beyond yeah. beyond Chendo now. It's reasonable. And and yeah, I I don't, did you mention Mata? I didn't, but he would be in my honorary mentions. Okay, Granero, Parejo as well. Yeah, perhaps Parejo. Perhaps honorary mentions. Yeah, Negredo, Parejo. Soldado. Uh, Borja also, Valero? Yeah, Borja Valero also there, yeah. I'd give him Javi, honorary mentions. Javi Garcia made a lot of money, even though his career wasn't great. So. Yeah, Javi Garcia had his moments, yeah. Um, yeah. I'd also give um, an honorary mention to Ruben De La Red, just for yeah. out yeah. of respect. And yeah. also... Well, also because he was a great player. Um, yeah, he was. Oh, Saul. Oh, 
But he, 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 left, he left before playing for Castilla, right? I don't even think he played a single second. <laughs> but I think technically yeah. he's in there for like a very brief period before he left. Mm. Yeah. Mm, yeah, that's... Uh, I'm not sure about including Saul there. Yeah, not not because of okay. I just want to throw him in there. Um, Portillo has the record for goals scored in Castilla as well. That's oh, true. No, Jesse no, has, right? Uh, unless no, Jesse Portillo. broke Portillo's record. No, Jesse broke Butragueño's record but Port- uh, for Castilla, but uh, Portillo has the whole academy record. Must be. I, know, I for, just yeah for under under seventeen, under fifteen, and all. Yeah, I think if yeah. you if you if you add it all together, I remember when in the early millennium when we were yeah. when we were watching everything, but Portillo was exciting because everyone was like he shattered all of Raúl's records yeah, in the yeah, system yeah. and. Funny, I was yeah. actually just looking him up today out of curiosity. He's thirty eight now, but um oh, that is, he is I, what? Is he playing? Uh no, he's retired. Okay. I just uh I was I was so excited about him. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> um and he also like he gave us like these remember he came on his I think his debut was against Panathinaikos in the Champions League. I was one yeah, of those Champions things. League, yeah. He had that goal from forty yards. Yeah, he's scoring his debut, yeah. Yeah. I remember that. Do you remember he also had that game against Dortmund in the Champions League where he scores at the last second, and if he doesn't score that, Real Madrid yeah. out in the group stages? Yeah, he pushed it. Yeah. yeah. I remember that one. Uh, perhaps you have to mention Pavon as well. He started sure. in the Galactico era, so, you know, relevant player. Raul Bravo had his moments as well, even though we know he wasn't great. Yeah. Not but a yeah, fan of either of them, my, but... <laughs> nah, my first honorable mentions would be, I think, Granero, Parejo, and perhaps Negredo, yeah. And to be clear, we're not talking about Castilla products, right? Because Casemiro doesn't fit because he wasn't part of La nah, Fabrica. Casi- no, Marcelo, I think, was registered for Castilla for a while, but I don't count him. Right. I don't count him. Right. Um, Luka Kovacevic says... Who is your one favorite loan player for which you would bring back? Um, that's the first question. He has two questions. So you could bring one loan back player this season in the squad. Who would it be? It's a draft, I think, with um, you know taking into account how poor and discouraging Odrio Zola has been this season. I think I would bring back Atraf. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's a good shout out. I in my head I was just thinking of Ceballos mostly because of his. Uh, how well he sh- he shown, yeah. but um, yeah, of course. But Atraf, I wouldn't I wouldn't argue with either because I'm kind of worried about a right. He's back more position. needed, I think. Yeah, in terms of pure necessity, like I think if you argue Regulon would be great to have, but he's not as urgent right yeah. now because no. of Mendy. Um, the second question is, do you see any resemblance between Guti and Odegaard? Whenever I watch Odegaard, it's like I'm having flashbacks of Guti. It would be amazing if you could keep up his upward trajectory in his career. And eventually be back in Madrid because I think every Madridista is hoping for that. This this must be a little bit touchy for you, right? Because you love Guti. I love Guti. Yeah. yeah, of course. And yeah, yeah, I think there's a resemblance there. I think Odegaard is a bit more physical. I, I was impressed by his by his his work rate the other day against Valencia. I liked it a lot. And you know, we we know that. Well, it was another. Era another time for football and all, but we know that Guti didn't like to work <laughs> hard a lot. But he had uh, this amazing quality that, of course, we can only think, we can only hope that Olegar reaches half of that quality for for 
you know, especially assists and last passes that Guti had, which I think were really, really underrated. There are definitely some stylistic similarities with the way they yeah. use their left foot with they with some of the passes yeah. they hit. Now like creativity, yeah. Creativity, yeah, and, and kind of also the way they, they carry themselves on the pitch. They have the kind of like this tall, skinny frame. Yeah. yeah. Um now Guti on his day, his vision is unparalleled, in my opinion. Like yeah. but Guti was one of those high ceiling, low floor type players where it could be you could get a, a a pass that you've never seen before in your life, and yeah. then you could also get a giveaway that yeah. made no sense. So, like a genius, yeah, a a, a very an, a genius that it was hard to kind of understand in a lot of ways. Yeah. But also the good the thing that Guti had that I don't see in Odegaard's game yet anyway is uh, his insane versatility, where he could he had that yeah. entire season Post where Del Bosque placed him as a striker, and he's just scored goals yeah. and goals. Yeah. You don't think Guti was a bit more offensive minded than Odegaard as well? Odegaard seems to be more of a midfielder than Guti was an attacking midfielder, you know, looking for the final assist, while Odegaard perhaps can control the tempo of the game more effectively and, you know, keep possession and all that. Maybe. I mean Odegaard has this interesting thing where he can he can be kind of like this deep lying playmaker and create huh. from deep and, and then he also has that other version of him where he can go on the right flank and he can yep. dual pass players and cut in and shoot. With like Guti, when, when he was playing on the right. Yeah, but maybe a little bit quicker than Ozil, like more agile, yeah. I'd say. But with, uh, but Guti had a lot of games where he was playing as a deep, pretty deep central midfielder, didn't he? Like under Capello, yes. sometimes he would play as that deeper. Midf- didn't we also have that nightmare era with Guti and Beckham as our defensive midfielders? Remember? Well, Which, yeah. <laughs> so we have. I don't that want too. to remember, but I do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, but, but his style of play was a bit more vertical, and that's that's I Guti's? think what I mean. Yeah, Guti's. Mm. Well, but but that's one thing that was interesting to me about the whole Sociedad debut he had uh, against Valencia was that he had that uh, there was that statistic that came out that like his pass percentage it was the highest he had completed the most passes in the oppositions yep. have in La Liga, and the interesting the uh, the impressive thing about that stat, and if you. If you remember that game, he didn't misplace the pass until the second half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A lot of those passes were vertical. Um, they were like difficult passes to pull off, which was impressive yeah. to me. So like he wasn't so much he was kind of passing backwards or whatever. He was quite incisive. Oh with no, his no. Passing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I really didn't expect that kind of poise from him. It was very encouraging seeing you know demanding the ball constantly when when Real Sociedad were down and needing to score. Yeah. Very very encouraging debut in La Liga for from Odegaard. I don't know if he'll be consistent enough. Perhaps perhaps not because you know he's young and his style of play doesn't really speak of consistency. But it was a very encouraging debut for sure. By the way, it's Sunday. Mallorca versus Sociedad. Maybe we'll see Odegaard versus Kubo. That's one to skip yeah. to circle. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, Frederick Rantakiro says, what do you think of Lasana Diara's time at the club? As I remember, he was amazing, especially that first year in 2009 when he basically was in Golacante and was everywhere on the pitch. He was a real favorite for me and I wish I'd bought his shirt when he was playing with the number 10. Thank you. Well, Frederick might get a little bit mad at me, but 
I think Diarra was a he was a useful player to have on the roster. First, that, that's something that needs to be mentioned. But I think he was a little bit chaotic. He he liked to work very hard. He mm. worked very hard. He ran all over the all over the place. That's for sure, and that's why he can be reminded of Kante. But I think he was he brought too much chaos into the team system, especially during the the Mourinho era when when he was replacing Kedira. Yeah. And I I honestly don't remember him very fondly because of that. I, he was a useful player to have on the roster, but I don't think the team was better when he was on the pitch. Well, I uh, I kind of I saw him at first and I was really amazed with him and then to me he kind of fell off a cliff and cliff and it was kind of steep. Because early on um, and keep in mind this is a role that Ram just had trouble filling. Yeah. For years, right? Obviously, famously yep. after since Macaulay left, and so we were all hungry for that player. And and I, to be honest, at first he was quite good. And I, I don't know, I don't remember who the debut was against now. Maybe you remember, but he. Oh the, no, I don't. The Bernabeu loved him, like he, because he was just so relentless with his work ethic. He was winning possession. Yeah. He was he was all over the place. He was tackling. Yeah. Now, some of that I think is the reason why Mourinho, especially in those later years, just didn't use him because uh, while he was a. He was a hard worker. His positioning was kind of out of whack. And yeah. we were kind of speaking about nightmare midfield duos. The Gago-Lasana midfield oh. combo was really traumatizing because we had they were overrunning the 6-2 at the Bernabeu against Barca. The 4-0 at yeah. Anfield against Liverpool. They were, they were, the, they were completely overrun. So it, I think it started off better than it ended, that's for sure. His work rate and, and you know, and and the tendency he that he used to run all over the place and all left Xavi Alonso exposed too many times during the Mourinho era. Right. Too many times when 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 Cadira was down with knee injuries and you know long during a long period of time Las was starting alongside Alonso. Alonso was exposed pretty much every time Real Madrid lost the ball. Yeah. Um, question from Brennan Powers. He says, with Xabi Alonso moving to Sociedad, do you think it's a good thing he moved on from the academy? I don't like seeing ex-players who I like become managers and then not as much anymore. Uh, So do you think going to Sociedad will help build his resume before coming back to Madrid? Hopefully he becomes a manager with the first team and works his way back. Maybe stop at another big club like Bayern along the way. Uh, Also, do you think it would be a while until we see him? Zidane isn't invincible, but we're going to assume he has a long leash. And also, Pochettino being a closet maridista. And who knows if Raul will get a chance with the first team. Also, guys like Guti are always thrown around when Madrid are searching. Do you think Xabi will get a shot? And if so, when? With his tactical mind being the way it is. Um, That's a good question. First of all, I, I'm not sh- I, I don't have any clues about who could be Zidane's replacement if something goes wrong this season. But I think before Raúl and before Alonso, you have to consider Guti, man. Mm-hmm. His 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 juvenil was very exciting to watch. He proved to be an a successful coach there as well. He won things, so I think he deserves to be ahead of both Raúl and Xavi Alonso in 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 the consideration. But I I don't I really don't know where where this could go if if Zidane leaves. Uh, yeah, I. 
we have to think that Alonso would be a good coach because he was such a smart player. But right. <clears throat> so I, I kind of have a hot take on this, and and maybe the the Solari diehards will will not be happy if I say this, but I I will say, preface it by saying I'm appreciative of Solari for bringing in coming into a very difficult situation where he was destined to fail regardless. And yeah. he did give a lot of playing time to the youth players, and I'll be forever yep. grateful for that. Um, I think part of the... I think there were... Guti was, was a better choice at the time yeah. to bring him back. Give him, buy him some tickets from Turkey and put him on the first flight if that's your... Yep. If, you're, if you're really stuck. Um. I also think Xabi Alonso, and this is where the hot take comes in. Xabi Alonso, despite having zero experience coaching apart from coaching like the under, what was it, under 13s, under something, yeah. the kids, I would have kind of been really interested to see that because I didn't... Well, did, did he have the license that time? I think so. Yeah, he did because co- last season he was coaching the uh, the youth team. So it was Solari, Castilla, then Raul, then then Xabi Alonso, the, the age group under that. Yeah. I think the problem is from a PR standpoint, you can't I guess logically it doesn't make sense and you can't convince yourself that you you don't promote your Castilla manager but you promote the youth team manager, it's a bad look. I think that's part of the yeah. reason why they couldn't do that. Yeah. Um and also because, you know, if Guti or 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 any of Raul or Xavi Alonso fail, which they would have because the team was not good enough, the team was not engaged, that right. they had lost any chance at La Liga and all you know, you're Pretty much giving up on on a on a coach and building a bad reputation yep. towards him, for almost nothing, unfairly you know? too, because yeah. the coach can't do anything. Now, which is the... pretty much the same that happened with Zidane last season. <laughs> Let's be honest; the situation would not be well. Of course, the team won against Celta, and that changed it all. But before the season started, the situation would wouldn't have been that bad without the last few months of of the past season with Zidane. Yeah, I'm also shocked that it didn't happen to him the first time when he took over Benitez. Like, I just remember everything, the feeling at the time was, yeah, there was excitement, but there was also like, man, this guy is an absolute legend. How is he going to survive this, in this situation? Yep. And he did, so like, credit to him. But, yep. um, you know, the coaching thing is interesting. In a way, I would like to see, I, it's kind of fun for me, maybe it is for you too, I don't know, but f- the reason it's fun for me to see all these coaches um, to choose from is because you know you grew up watching a lot of these players and you you believe in their intelligence intelligence and the way they play on the yeah. field, and it's kind of cool to have that the former players come back to help keep forming the identity of the Madridismo that exists and this yeah. you know the style of play we want to play. So you know I yeah, but about, hmm. uh, about Xavi Alonso, are we sure that he's you know kind of loyal to the to the club? It's a good question. I, I, I'm not saying that it should matter. You know, big legends uh, of coaching have come here without being loyal to the club or anything. But we're pretty much leveling Alonso as, as you know, as this Madridista. Uh, Madridista. Yeah. yeah, and and you know, he left the club for to join Bayern for ten days before the window closed, leaving Madrid without a a, a replacement in the defensive midfield position. So I, I'm, I mean, I'm, I am a big Xavi Alonso fan when he was a player here, but I'm. He, I think it would be fair to at least question whether he's a Madridista or not, or whether he's just a pro. Yeah, I think I think it's probably the latter. I don't think he's a Madridista, quote unquote. I think if you, obviously, he's 
he's a Sociedad probably for, first and foremost. Yeah. Sociedad guy. Makes sense, yeah. Uh, and then he probably has a soft spot for all the play- the teams for he played for, yeah. for Liverpool, for Bayern, for Real Madrid. Um, yeah. Mostly Liverpool and Real Madrid, I'd, I'd assume. Yeah. 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 It's funny, like with Xabi Alonso, I I wrote a script for TV Football kind of about his manager and his future career as a manager. And there actually isn't little, there's little to almost nothing to go by to decipher what kind of coach he is in the sense that we don't know because uh-huh. when he was coaching the the youth team. And this is, this is juvenile B or C. I think he was. Nah, I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah. So it's not like we were watching his matches. To dis- dissect, yeah. Dis- uh, decipher the tactics. And even if we were, who knows what that even means. It's just a bunch of kids playing against other kids. Yeah. And also the reality is of Raul and Chabi Alonso's record in those youth, youth teams. It was like nearly flawless. The team never lost. They just destroyed everybody. And part of that is because <laughs> like, the other kids are so inferior to them, like because Real Madrid yeah. just goes and scouts all the best players in the, exactly. in the in the country and brings them all in. Exactly. So they may have just won those games anyway. So I have no idea, but it just part of me almost naively feels that because he was so smart and technically gifted that he would just by default be a good coach. I could be wrong. I just if there's one guy I would trust with my team with no experience, it's probably him. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it makes sense because he was coached by Guardiola, he was coached by Mourinho, he was coached by Benitez also, who was a yeah. great coach at the time. So he has all these inputs who can mold his his coaching mind, you know, and and I think he would be a great candidate, but I, I just don't think he's a Madridista and I just want to make that clear. I, I, and I'm not saying that it, it's bad uh, per se, you know, and just I, let's say, let, let me put an example. I don't think he would have taken the the coaching job Zidane took last season, you know, with all odds indicating that it mm. was going to be a failure. Mm. I think he would he would take a good opportunity for him to to succeed, but I don't think he would sacrifice him himself for the good of the club. Yeah, yeah. Which I mean, I get and I, I'm totally fine with it. I I think there are several players who have succeeded in Madrid who were not Madridistas, and that's totally fine. As long as they give their best when when they're paid by the club, Raúl was one um, <clears throat> that uh, I suppose I'm skeptical of how he'll do, and I've been skeptical yeah, over the too. past few years, right? Because like, yep. but then th- then I came to a realization that maybe maybe he will be good, and the reason is because well, one this the obvious stuff is like you know he's a very well respected figure and he's very honorable yeah, person people will probably fight for him quite quite admirably yeah. but the other reason is that if you watch him play he's like he was an insanely intelligent footballer like he knew how to press he knew where to be he knew yeah. he knew the instinct he had that he may be able to to kind of teach and, and and form this collective unit maybe maybe he can maybe he can um yeah but we keep talking about you know these prospects of coaching and not yeah. about you know Coaches who have already built their resume and reputation. Right. So, um, I mean, the next coach doesn't necessarily have to be one of these prospects who we don't know how are they going to respond and how are they going to to play or or just simply what kind of coach they are. So, perhaps the next coach is someone with a you know with a career already. Yeah, I'm someone like Pochettino. Who, uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, it is interesting the idea that Zidane isn't in, isn't invincible, um, but he has a long leash. Brennan says, um, 
I don't know how you feel. What you, what's your gut instinct about how this season will go? I don't think it'll be a failure, but I don't think Madrid will win any major trophy this season either. I mean, I don't think the team will end up being 20 points behind Barcelona by February, for sure, or out in the in the round of 16 of the Champions League. But I don't think that the, rost, the current roster is good enough to, to, to win any major trophies other than probably the Copa del Rey, which is kind of the more manageable. I generally feel that way, but I... In the round table, I was one of only two people, I think, who, who gave this team chance at winning the trophies. Uh, and I put Real Madrid down as the Champions League winners and third place in La Liga. And It's so tough to win the Champions League, man. <laughs> I know, but the, the only reason, and it's a, it's a bit of a gamble, the reason I put it down like that is because I think that this season somehow can go either way. Like it could, it's like one of those... I, th- I think it's a low floor, high ceiling season where it could yeah. absolutely go terrible. It could be Zidane. Yeah. It's either it's either Zidane's gone by December or they win the champion. Yeah. I don't. I can't. I can see both perhaps, scenarios yeah. easily. Yeah. Or, or, or perhaps the team just tries his best. They they play good football and all, and just they're just beat by a by a better team come come the Champions League semifinals. You know. Yeah, there is that scenario too where it's like they they bounce in that scenario, but. It's almost they like play this well, moral they victory. They give their best. It's not a yeah. failure, but you know, Manchester City come and finally win the uh, the Champions League. They've been they've been dreaming of since spending pretty much four hundred million <laughs> <laughs> every summer. You know. Yeah. Or they or they'll just lose again, and Pep will go back to saying that the league is yeah. more important. Yeah. yeah. Um, this last question, not entirely sure how to tackle it, but uh, Varun. Uh, the last patron question. He says, because I, I put out a, you know, a call for questions, obviously, that you were coming yeah. on the show. And he says, if this is Lucas Navarrete, then finally a dream combo of Keon and Lucas is happening on the podcast. <laughs> My question is slightly germane. I will name a list of successful players at Real Madrid and please choose an alternate club where these players would have made the same impact, if not more, as they did in the Champions League for Pete. Um, the list of players is 11. Ramos, Ronaldo, Marcelo, Benzema, Bale, Modric, Cruz, Varane, Keylor Navas, Casemiro, and Carvajal. I'm not entirely sure how to answer this question because in many ways, all of these players would succeed elsewhere. And I agree. But the, I don't think you can have more of an impact than winning four Champions League. So the, the question is also <laughs> a bit weird. But um, I suppose we can answer it this way. Like, is there any certain player that you think is like system specific to Real Madrid that wouldn't be as good elsewhere? Or are there players who would actually thrive in, in, in a, in a different system? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think perhaps Benzema is system specific. He needs a big uh, scorer on the wings to maximize his, you know, his playmaking abilities and his traits as a scorer, as, as a striker, sorry, because we know that he's not a 40 goal a season scorer. Yep. Uh, I could say the same about Kaylor because perhaps he doesn't have the the quality to replace some other, you know, great goalkeepers like Neuer, like Oblak, like Ter Stegen. So I'm not sure that he will have had the same impact in, in say, let's say Bayern Munich, Barcelona, and those kind of uh, of clubs. Perhaps you can say the same about Casemiro. And the rest of them, I think they're they are just good enough to succeed and pretty much bench <laughs> any other player in Europe. So yeah, um, I think that's about right. Like you could, if if Cruz had to say it at Bayern, 
I think he would have done really well still. I'm, I'm, I'm sure of that. Yeah. Um, you know, Benzema, I could see him thriving at a team like Arsenal, I think. Yeah, Liverpool also. Liverpool, I, I, yeah, I think he would do well in the Liverpool system. Um, I think, you know, all these players would generally do well. Like now, Bale is pretty system-specific in the sense that yeah. I don't know how he would do in a Guardiola scheme, for example. I think Ooh. in a club system, I think he would do well because he's a good presser. He can, he can, he can kind of cut in. He can shoot. He's a very direct kind of gung ho player. Um, even Ronaldo, yeah, but Ramos, Baran would succeed anywhere. Ramos, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Casemiro is another Seven. one that you know, if if you put him in a Barcelona system, yeah, uh, he'll struggle. He will struggle. Yeah, I mean, and this is not. He'll struggle or he won't even play. And this is not really even me making an assumption. I, he, no. Someone like Xavi and Guardiola have talked about this. Like it's like, you know, they're just system specific players that yeah. we need we need elite ball ball handlers and being able to kind of yeah. make your way out of a press. We you know, we grew up with this entire narrative that Ronaldo would never be able to play in Barcelona because of the system. Do you believe that? <laughs> he would be able to score forty goals in his prime anywhere. Yeah. Just I, anywhere. I feel the same way. He made um, goals out of nowhere, man. He would. I think goals he would, that didn't exist, he created them. Not only that, but even first of all, he'd be able to to score goals out of nothing. But he'd also be able to take advantage of all the service he'd get, like all those balls that go yeah. to half space and the cutbacks for open Definitely. nets. He would rack yeah. it up, I think. He would improve Barca's uh, set pieces as well. So, yeah, come on. He would. Uh, he would actually score meaningful goals in the Champions League for them. I think. <laughs> Maybe win them a couple European titles. Ouch! Ouch. <laughs> Anything else before you we wrap it up here? No, I uh, I think that list of players is world class, and other than perhaps Benzema, Bale, and Casemiro, the ones we agreed on, and Kaylor, perhaps, I think they would succeed pretty much in in any club. So managingmadrid.com. Uh, is where you go for everything right now. Everything from breaking news to yep. making sure you, you get the latest updates on X player and this player, the injuries, transfers, but also tactical analysis, match previews. Um, I know Sam Sharp has press a big conferences, press everything. conferences, quotes. Um, Ewan McTeer is attending the Bernabeu and, uh, pretty extensively this year for us. And when he's not there, I'm going to be there. So... We, we have it everything covered and and also I think Sam's going to put up a article about Castilla today I wrote an article of Vinicius that went up late last night um, pretty interesting question that sometimes surfaces on the podcast um, Lucas is who in when Florentino does eventually leave who will be a successor yep. and there's only a short yeah, people yeah so Christopher McCormick wrote about some candidates yep. that could potentially do that so uh, go on managementjo.com don't miss any of it Lucas Navarrete it's always a pleasure hopefully this is the first of, of many appearances this season for you exactly yeah and uh, yeah catch you guys next time Hala Madrid Hala Madrid again